Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Welcome to Prodigal Church Online. You are listening or watching to us from wherever you are. We invite you, if you are in the Central California area, to our Prodigal Family Barbecue next Sunday night, May 22nd at 5 p.m. Uh, we are going to be in the Parkview picnic shelter there, and we're just going to have a lot of fun, and there's going to be water balloons and food and games and music and competitions and all the stuff fun for the whole family. And so if you are in the Fresno Clovis area, this is a really great way to get connected and to have a blast with all of us. Oh, and it's free. Um, our last big but of the Bible is found in the book of Genesis. And this has been a really fun series. And we have saved the biggest but for last. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. This morning, we turn to the life of Joseph, whose story is found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And the story of Joseph takes up more space in the book of Genesis than any other story by far. More than Adam and Eve, more than Noah, more than Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph's father, Jacob. Uh, and because it's such a long narrative, I'll summarize parts of the story and then read directly from the scriptures in other parts. And I want to encourage you this week, sometime read those 13 chapters um, in Genesis, in the back half of Genesis this week, and explore more in depth uh, this but in the Bible. I'll give you permission to, at your house, stare at this but a little bit longer. Now, Joseph is the 11th son out of 12. So he's got 10 older brothers and Joseph is the favorite. And when you have your first child, you are insane about their overall well-being, right? When they're learning to walk and then they fall, you pick them up and you go, oh my, my poor baby. Or if they drop their pacifier on the ground, you boil water and put it in there to purify it from all impurities. There will be no dirt touching my child. Uh, the more you have kids, the less these things matter. By the third child, they're licking the asphalt in your front yard and you're like, yeah, they're fine. Um, but there is a point when the older kids are grown and then there's a new baby, your world again begins to revolve around the new baby. Perhaps this is what is happening with Joseph. Uh, their father loved him most and the older brothers resent him. Now you might be thinking, well, when you have kids, you love all of them the same. Um, some of them might behave better than others, but you love them equally. So there's no way the father loved Joseph actually more than the others. Well, Genesis 37 tells us this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe or colorful robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Here is the coat of many colors or the technicolor dream coat. And what made the brothers angry about this coat wasn't that it was colorful, it was that it had sleeves. Uh, their jackets uh, of their, or their tunics were cut off at the shoulder. Theirs were built for working. Joseph's was built for luxury. 
It would be like today, you and your family and your brothers and sisters are all opening up Christmas presents and your little brother opens up an Armani tuxedo in a leather briefcase. And you are so excited, you and your brothers, you open up your gifts and you have a Caltrans vest, a wrench, and work gloves, okay? Real discreet, Dad. So I'm gonna have calluses on my hands and baby brother is going out on the town. He's destined for the upper class. We're destined for the middle. So Joseph has this dream, and in the dream, God elevates him, and he will one day rule over his brothers. And Joseph makes the bonehead decision of telling his brothers about this dream, okay? They already didn't like him, and now Joseph tells them that he's gonna be their boss someday. The tension is rising. Verse 12, then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am, ready to obey you. Then Jacob said to him, Please, go and see whether everything is all right with your brothers and all right with the flock. Then bring word back to me. So what are the brothers doing? Well, they're taking care of the family estate. And what is Joseph doing? Nothing. He's just hanging out with his dad. Okay? And then if it's not already obvious that Joseph is the favorite, look at the way that dad asks Joseph to check up on the brothers. Please go and see. Please. He says, please. Now, I grew up in a loving home, but when my folks asked me to do chores, I don't ever remember them saying, please. Hey, John, please go outside and scoop the dog poop out of the backyard. No. Joseph is so spoiled that his dad says, please. I am guilty of this kind of parenting as well. When our daughter Ivy, um, had trouble finishing her bites not long ago, I would say, Ivy, if you don't eat your bites, then you don't get any chocolate after dinner. And she comes up to me 10 minutes later, plate, bites, not even touched. And she says, Dad, can I have candy? And I said, did you eat your bites? And she says, no. And I said, okay, well, you only get two pieces of chocolate tonight then. Okay, we run a tight ship, okay, at our house. And it's, sometimes it's even worse for our son, Dex. And so Joseph is approaching his brothers. Meanwhile, the brothers are devising a scheme to get rid of him. They say, hey, we're gonna throw him in a well. We're gonna take his Technicolor Armani tuxedo and we're gonna dip it in goat's blood and go to our father and say that a wild animal consumed Joseph. And while Joseph is in the well, some Midianite merchants came by and the brothers decided that we should sell Joseph to the merchants. So in one afternoon, Joseph went from being the spoiled favorite in his father's house to a slave to a people he's never known. This is not a minor inconvenience. This is not just a case of the Mondays, okay? This is not getting into a fender bender after a tough day at work. Joseph dreamed a dream, a dream of influence, a dream of leadership, and now he's a slave. Every one of us has a dream. And every one of us has a process to get to that dream, to get to that reality. And the process is never what we expect, okay? A, a global pandemic wasn't part of the deal. Uh, losing my job wasn't part of the deal. My child struggling wasn't part of the deal. Being single, it wasn't part of the deal. But before your dreams come to maturity, God wants the dreamer to come to maturity. We're so focused on getting to the dream and God is worried about the dreamer. 
150 years ago, the only way to get fresh Atlantic, North Atlantic cod from Boston all the way to San Francisco was to sail around South America. The journey itself would take months. So you can imagine the first time they tried to put ice in there and ice down the fish, pack it down, and then make the trek all the way around the southern part of the globe back to San Francisco, the fish would be terrible. They would be completely inedible. So they decided, okay, well, let's put the cod, the, the fish inside a holding tank in the, within the boat. And uh, they made the trek and the fish were less than satisfactory. They were almost tasteless because they didn't have to move around in there. They didn't do anything to exercise or exert energy. And so they were also pasty, tasteless. Someone finally suggested, why don't we put some catfish in the cod? And that's a wild idea because catfish are a natural predator to North Atlantic cod. But sure enough, when a few catfish were placed in the tanks, the cod kept swimming getting out of eating range. And when they reached San Francisco, they were in perfect shape. Sometimes it is in the middle of hostile surroundings that we preserve what is good inside of us. The dream that God gave you is marinated in struggle. And this is true with Joseph. Joseph is sold to the Midianite merchants who then take him to Egypt. And we pick up the story in chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph is sold to a powerful Egyptian official named Potiphar. Verse two, the Lord is with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. And so Joseph was in the house of his father as a son and God was with Joseph. And now Joseph was in the house of Potiphar as a slave and God was still with Joseph. Often when we say God was in something, we are in situations that we think confirm his favor. When we say something like, God is blessing me, what we mean is things are going like I want or better than I want. So when the Bible says that God was with Joseph, that doesn't mean that's how he felt. This was written way after the fact. Because in the midst of our suffering, it is almost impossible to figure out what this season means while you're still in it. God shows us through Joseph that it is possible to prosper in the middle of life's difficulties. It won't always happen, but it is possible. Moping, living in the past, constantly being negative, that won't let you experience prosperity through difficulty. Did you know that it is possible to suffer successfully? Now, the majority of Joseph's day-to-day -day activities were out of his control, right? He was a slave to Potiphar. He didn't get to choose much in his life. Much of his life was out of his control. What do we do? Well, we focus in on those areas, the areas of life that we don't have control of. Joseph doesn't do this. 
He focuses on the area that he did have control of. He focused on being the best servant he could. He couldn't control his life, but he could control his mindset, his attitude, his work ethic. He didn't pick the situation, but he did pick how he could approach the situation. And in so doing, he's unlocking the power of perspective. Joseph shows us that you can face pain and still prosper in the same time. What does it look like to suffer successfully? It looks like Joseph because he is suffering. He's in the middle of it. Joseph doesn't know the end of the story. He was in the middle of it, just like you, just like me. We're in the messy middle. What do you not know? A lot. What are you not in control of? A ton. What are you in control of? Yourself. And it is within this struggle that we lean into the mindset that I will not be a victim. I'm not going to live in anger. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to be better. I'm going to focus on what I can do. See, we can honor God. And in so doing, we suffer successfully. We, like Joseph, can experience a prosperity in difficulty. And so Joseph is put in charge of Potiphar's household. He is prospering. But Potiphar had a really psycho wife. Her name was Mrs. Robinson. Okay, She was a desperate housewife of ancient Egypt. She saw Joseph as the new pool boy. She was older. She was beautiful. Joseph was handsome. And the Bible tells us this. He says Joseph was handsome and well-built. And Potiphar's wife, she's not so subtle. She went up to him and she said, Joseph, why don't you have sex with me right now? And Joseph was like, no way, Jose. Not a chance, Vance. Now, have you noticed that those two replies show up in every sermon during our Big Butts of the Bible sermon series? I have no, there's no reason for that. It's just gonna happen that way. But Joseph is doing what is right. Uh, in his life, for the first time, he's starting to see the reality of his dreams. He's becoming in a position of power. He's being prosperous and he is in a position of leadership. God is blessing him and all of a sudden a temptation comes his way. More obstacles come along. There was a crab fisherman who had a bucket full of crabs, but no lid. And a friend went up to him and said, why don't you have a lid on your bucket? Okay. Uh, won't the crabs get out? And the fisherman says, oh no. The moment one crab tries to escape, the others grab him and pull him back down again. There are people like that in life. Do you agree? Not everybody sees the beauty of our dreams. Not everybody wants you in a position of leadership. Stay true to the vision anyway. So Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joe and he resists. He runs away. So she takes his coat. Once again, a coat comes into play. She takes his coat and she claims that he tried to rape her. And so he's thrown into a dungeon. God, where are you? This wasn't part of the deal. This wasn't part of the dream. I'm in a dungeon for doing what was right? We've all been there before, right? I've done it right. I've kept my integrity. If I'd have cheated, I'd have been promoted by now. Why does it seem like the bad guys win and the good guys lose? How many times in prison did Joseph say, God, I thought you had a plan for me. I thought you had a dream for me. Joseph had plenty of opportunities to throw in the towel on life and on God, but pain and suffering do not have to define us. 
We do not have to be defeated by our bad circumstances or our bad memories. I believe God has that specifically for someone listening right now. You do not have to be defeated by bad circumstances. You do not have to be defeated by bad memories. You can suffer successfully. Joseph, instead of hardening his heart, he kept it wide open. Because one night in this dark dungeon, he hears somebody on bunk B who had a dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph could have said, man, I'm done with dreams. Closed myself off to dreams. They didn't work for me. They won't work for anyone else. But instead, he interprets the dream of this prisoner who eventually becomes cupbearer to the king. The most powerful man in the world. And in the story of Joseph, this is not the last dream that comes true. You're going to have to read it for yourself. Genesis 37 through 50. But within two years of being unjustly thrown into a dungeon, Joseph is elevated into second command of all the known world. Notice that it was his interpreting of his own dreams that got him in trouble in the first place. And it was the interpreting the dreams of others that became a fulfillment of his own dream. And so it is with the upside down kingdom of Jesus. The world says, step over people on your way up the ladder of success. And Jesus says, climb down and help others up. And in so doing, you take the escalator. The story of Joseph shows us that in suffering, we have a choice. You can take my coat, but you can't take my character. You can't take my integrity. You say that the enemy's attack on my lives is proof that God has left me. I say it's proof that God is with me. It's proof that God is doing something within me. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't feel or that we're not honest about suffering. I'm not saying that your feelings don't matter or ignore them, okay? That is a train wreck. Read the life of Joseph. Underline every time it says that Joseph wept. Okay, caution, you might need two highlighters because the dude is crying on every page. He's being real. He's being honest. He felt it. So do you. I want you to feel free to share that with God. I want you to feel free to use bad words when you pray. If that's how you're feeling. I want you to feel free. I'm not saying that I want you to cuss when you pray. I'm saying you should feel free to. You are forever absolved from the responsibility of protecting God from how you really feel. He can handle it. He's heard worst. He's not shocked. Don't bottle your emotions before God. Yell at him if you want. Weep if you need to weep. You don't need to protect God from how you really feel. He protects you. When we read stories like this in the Bible, it is not because we find a philosophical truth behind the meaning of suffering. We don't read it with a clear mind or heart looking for deep truths. No, we read it limping with foggy eyes from our constant tears. We read the Bible a day after you get a bad diagnosis or the night that our spouse has left the house or the day after your kid screamed at you, I hate you. No, we come to the Bible limping in our suffering. We don't come to these stories with theoretical questions. We come to the Bible broken, asking, how can I believe for just one more day? The story of Joseph is the story of suffering. And the story 
that pain can have a purpose. So while it remains true that God does not keep bad things from happening to us, it is also true that God did not keep bad things from happening to himself. Look at Jesus on the cross. God, in short, does not answer our grief with a lecture. He throws in with us. He makes our grief his own. So if you are suffering right now, may the words of Isaiah the prophet comfort you. He will swallow up death forever and will wipe away tears from all faces. Tish Warren, in commenting on this passage, she writes, he will swallow up death forever and wipe away tears from all faces, but not until we have one last long cry. For redemption itself does not skip over the darkness, but demands that every last tear run. God is good with your honesty. God is with you in your tears. And so Joseph, he's exalted to the second highest position in the known world. He's second only to Pharaoh. And if this was the end of the story, it would be a great story. A true rags to riches story. But this is not the crescendo. The story gets better. There's a famine. And Joseph saved food so that he could save lives. And Joseph's brothers go to Egypt and they ask for food, but they don't recognize Joseph because he looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. And it is during his act of forgiveness and reconciliation with his brothers that he shares a big but. In speaking to his brothers, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God meant it for good. It applies to Joseph when his dad played favorites and sowed discord within the family, but God meant it for good. It applies to Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery, but God meant it for good. It applies to Joseph when he was thrown in a dungeon in Egypt God meant it for good. It is a summary of a long life of ups and downs for Joseph. God meant it for good. God didn't cause it. He allowed it and he can do good in the midst of it and through it. God is not causing your suffering. God is not causing your pain. God is not causing your grief, your despair, your heartache, but he can use it for good. Joseph says, but God meant it for good. He's looking backward. He says it in the past tense. He doesn't say God means this for good. He says God meant it. Joseph is reflecting 40 years later, four decades past. Joseph doesn't say this at the bottom of the well or in the recesses of the dungeon. No, here in Genesis 50, looking back at his life, over the past 40 years, Joseph says, God meant it for good. Some of you are going through some stuff. You are in the bottom of a well. Everything you have known has been taken away. You are in the recesses of a dark dungeon. You are suffering. And you may not ever know the answer to the question, why? And if you do, it just might be four decades from now. You cannot control your circumstances, 
but you can control you. You can suffer successfully because God is with you. And I want to encourage you during these last moments, open your heart to God. Wherever you are, you could be on a run, you could be in a car, you could be at home on a computer screen or TV. Weep, vent, cry. Whatever you do, just be honest. I'll close with this poem and let these words be heard by you in the deepest parts of who you are. And may you find resonance within them. Lord, I've never moved a mountain, and I guess I never will. All the faith that I could muster wouldn't move a small anthill. Yet I'll tell you, Lord, I'm grateful for the joy of knowing thee and for all the mountain moving down through life you've done for me. When I needed some help, you lifted me from the depths of great despair, and when burdens, pain, and sorrow have been more than I can bear. You have always been my courage to restore life's troubled sea and to move these little mountains that have looked so big to me. Many times I've had problems and when bills I've had to pay and the worries and the heartaches just kept mounting every day. Lord, I don't know how you did it. Can't explain the where's or why. All I know is I've seen these mountains turn into blessings in disguise. No, I've never moved a mountain for my faith is far too small. Yet, I thank you, Lord of heaven. You have always heard my call. And as long as there are mountains in my life, I'll have no fear. For the mountain-moving Jesus is my strength and always near. May it be so. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, if you are in the Central Valley, we want to invite you next week to our Prodigal Church uh, family barbecue. It's going to be an absolute blast at Woodward Park next Sunday, the 22nd. And next week, we begin a brand new sermon series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. So you're not going to want to miss that as well. We pray God's peace and blessings on you and in the Ukraine. Grace and peace.